All right. I'm going to assume we're live now. Um, I'm David French. I've got Andrew Egger and Declan Garvey of the Yellow Sweater Brigade uh, for tonight's <laughs> Dispatch Live. I didn't get the memo, gentlemen. I'm just here in my navy blue long sleeve t-shirt, just chilling, uh, relaxed, drinking my Sprite, um, staying sober because somebody has to, obviously, Andrew. Um, but we're going to cover a ton of stuff tonight related to, oh my gosh, uh, all of the drama happening on Twitter with um, all the drama happening on Twitter with China, with Elon Musk, with Apple, uh, so many things going on. And uh, I don't know if you can, uh, I think maybe people can only see me right now. Uh, so you cannot, in fact, see that there is a yellow uh, sweater brigade. So you're going to have to hang with me for a minute. But let's just do a test to see if you can at least hear Declan. So Declan, here's my opening question to you. Elon Musk, Twitter, Apple, go. <laughs> um, well, I hope that uh, people can hear me so that uh, I don't have to go go back and, and start over again. <laughs> um, but if, if that is the case, then I will get going. Um, we're good. We're good. We're all there. We're good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yes. Okay. Um, Outstanding. That is, that is great news. So Elon <laughs> Musk, Apple, Twitter, go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, as, as <laughs> people who are online might be aware, uh, Elon Musk bought Twitter, uh, officially a couple months or a couple weeks ago unofficially several months ago, and then he tried to back out of it. Um, but in, in kind of the five or six weeks since he's formally taken over, he's implemented a lot of changes uh, to the company, downsized its staff significantly, and uh, tried to change some of the uh, operations surrounding content moderation and, um, and you know, the the online i don't want to say free speech debate because that's going to trigger david but uh um, <laughs> what what people are allowed to post on this private company's platform um yesterday he kind of kicked up a, a new hornet's nest uh reigniting a debate that other tech companies had been having with apple for years now but is kind of new to twitter um in specifically so that's having to do with apple's um uh fees that it uh, that it uh, takes from uh, developers and, and apps on that use its app store to, to reach people's phones, iPads, what have you. Um, and then concerns about um, some, some of Apple's kind of own content moderation that, that they're using behind the scenes. So just to kind of back up a little bit, this started really in 2019 between Apple and the maker of Fortnite, which is a video game uh, called Epic games uh, that, Fortnite basically decided we don't want to uh, pay the 30% tax or fee that Apple charges uh, when people make in-app purchases on their iPhones in our app. So you download Fortnite, you decide you want to upgrade your costume or your uh, skin or whatever, whatever the, they call it in, <laughs> in the game. My brother, if he's watching, is making fun of me right now. Um, but you pay two dollars because you want to get a new T-shirt or something uh, on your character. Apple would take thirty percent of that two dollars that you're sixty cents in theory paying to uh, to Epic Games, the maker of Fortnite. And so Epic was basically like, 
this stinks. We don't want to stand by this anymore. We're going to direct users on their iPhones to a separate payment processing platform that we own, and we are not going to pay Apple their 30%. Apple decided this is a breach of their contract and kicked uh, Fortnite out of the App Store, so you can no longer download it. Um, and then there's, you know, three years of litigation later, uh, a judge has kind of sided with both of the companies in a way that basically says, Apple, you need to allow companies to send users to uh, their own uh, payment platforms if they want to. Uh, but the but but the judge also ruled that Apple's app store is not a monopoly, that they don't have a dominant market share and don't need to be broken up. So it was kind of seen as a win for both in some ways, but uh, uh, primarily Apple and both companies are appealing the parts of the decision that they lost. And so that's where we stand right now. Elon Musk comes in and says, hey, remember this fight from a year and a half ago or so? Let's start that again, but with Twitter. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of getting up. Uh, people are being read up to speed on, on what happened between Apple and, and Epic Games and then how this applies to Twitter. There's also a kind of a separate but related uh, issue where Musk is accusing Apple of... Um, stopping at stopping its advertising on Twitter's platform. They say that they don't that uh, or Elon says Apple doesn't believe in free speech because of they aren't advertising on his platform. Uh, and so it's kind of become mapped onto our free speech debates, culture wars, what have you. Uh, that was a lot of long winded <laughs> legal jargon. Um, so I will I will kick it back to to you, David, if you have anything else to add there. But we can we can keep going there. Yeah, I, I I separate these things into two buckets to use advisory opinion speak. Bucket one, uh, shout out to Sarah for the buckets. Bucket one is Twitter, uh, Apple advertising on Twitter. That's up to Apple. Apple can advertise where it wants to advertise. It's under no obligation to advertise anywhere. Elon Musk can, of course, try to bully them into advertising and can shame them and do everything he wants to with this giant, giant, giant platform he owns. But that's that's one thing. Twitter, I'm at trying to force Apple to spend money on it. Mm, you know, not super interested in that dispute, to be honest. The other the more interesting dispute to me is under what circumstances can Apple knock you off the app store? Because that implicates the monopoly issue, the antitrust issue. And with so many things, Andrew Egger, this gets more complicated than you might think because one of the things that Apple did early on was say, no porn on the app store. They've got some kind of family-friendly sort of rules and guidelines so is this a situation where if you're saying break the app store wide open and all comers get to be on the app store, is that a be careful what you wish for kind of situation? Well, yes, of course, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the the interesting thing to me about um, Apple's particular role in, in this ecosystem and this infrastructure it actually kind of parallels a lot of the conversations that we have about Twitter because it is the biggest, um, you know, purveyor of, of, of <clears throat> smartphones and all these sorts of things. It's built out this whole infrastructure that has a certain amount of prestige 
Um, and it's done this in part by having a very walled garden of its app store. It, it, it takes a much heavier hand. Uh, Declan's smiling because, smiling because he used that phrase to me uh, earlier and I, I ripped it off from him. <laughs> it, was, it was front of mind, Declan. Um, they uh, essentially, as opposed to their primary competitor, which is Android, which is run by Google, uh, Apple is much heavier handed in terms of the kinds of apps it allows you to install on its products. You essentially have to download um, anything that you're going to install onto an iPhone from the app store, uh, you know, Google also has a play store uh, of its own, but you can theoretically download just random apps from the internet, uh, and install them on your Android devices. Um, so it's this weird situation where they wield a lot of cultural power because they are both seen as, um, you know, the thing that you just want as a consumer to have an iPhone as opposed to an Android phone. And they're very pushy about, about what, what they allow on there. And in the past, that's primarily been, you know, uh, content moderation type uh, 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 questions like, should there be porn on the app store? And, 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 and questions like that have had mm -hmm. kind of a different valence. They, 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 they have been, I mean, they're political questions because they, you know, uh, in, in the broader sense of just kind of having to do with how we all kind of live and interact with one another, but they're not, uh, easily coded in the culture war. Um, a question like, will, Apple kick Twitter off of the app store because they don't like right-wing billionaire Elon Musk right. is an extremely politically coded, fresh, ready to be plugged right into the culture war and have everybody uh, be rip-raring and ready to go kind of question. Um, and so, and, and obviously this also ties into um, a lot broader uh, questions, of, especially on the, on the political right about like how much power are we as uh as the right, the political right, willing to sit by and allow um, these giant corporations to wield culturally, and and primarily that has that has um, implicated you know social media companies like Facebook and Twitter and and Google that runs YouTube, um, and basically a lot of rabble rousing about you know shutting down conservative voices and 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 some stuff that's uh, more. Uh, noise than signal and and some stuff that's that's legitimate but but those sorts of things but but uh there's also been some uh, uh talk about you know how this whole apple epic games app store it's kind of a a, a a parallel track for the same conversation because it's just another way that that uh one giant corporation essentially controls a, a vast share of the market on on things like this um there's a there's a uh I believe it's called the Open. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to forget the name of the actual. It might be the Open Markets Act or something like that. Um, a piece of legislation that some of these kind of new right types have proposed, essentially that would uh, cut the Gordian knot of the Apple Epic Games um, uh, snafu by basically saying you have to, you 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 can't be Apple and and uh, ensure that everybody who has your hardware only installs software that you've approved and things like that. So it's, uh, it's tangential to some of these other conversations that we've, we've talked a lot about in the past. Before we continue, let me just state for the record that yes, my air conditioning filters are leaning against my bookshelf. I did pull them out to replace the filters and haven't done it yet. And I'm so lazy about doing it. They might be there next week. It's 50, 50. It David, do you not do like a like a tidying up the room pass before before Dispatch Live? Because there was like spaghetti 
Like my, my daughter eats right there. And there, there was spaghetti, like sort of all over every inch of this space until about 10 minutes before we got on. Look, no. I now after, after, um, the Chicago event in that we had a couple weeks ago, Steve, Sarah, and I, a lovely, uh, dispatch member came up to me and, and noted that on last week's dispatch live, one of the paintings behind you was slightly askew. Uh, so now I take a level, uh, every at, at seven 52, uh, every, every time before we go on here to make sure that that does no, not uh, ever happen. That's not again. true. Is it? You're making that up. No, that's Maddie could back me up if she, wherever she is. So that's such a <laughs> psychological profile Look. of Declan taking place in real time on dispatch live. Whatever. One guy one time was like, you know, maybe they're not level. And he's the, for the rest of his life, he'll be doing that every week. Whatever the condition of my room, when zoom comes on, that is what dispatch live will be or any podcast or anything else I do that has a camera involved. So it's just, it's a crapshoot. but let's move on to a different question. So I'm very interested in your opinion on a scale of one to 10, how mad at you, uh, how mad at Apple are you? Okay. On this basis, on this grounds. So we're going to move to China. Okay. So I have, I'm going to be, I'm going to confess that even though I've written on cancel culture and these fights domestically about woke capital and all of this a lot, I'm really, really kind of bored with it. Um, who wins between Elon Musk and Tim Cook isn't on the top of my concern chart, to be honest. I am a lot more concerned with, with what happens in the People's Republic of China. I'm a lot more concerned with the fact that massive American corporations are economically interdependent and entangled with China. Among them, Tesla, <laughs> Elon Musk, and Apple, Tim Cook. And Apple pushed out an update recently uh, that, that did this. It said... If you have AirDrop, which I don't know if you have an iPhone, I have an iPhone. Uh, if you have AirDrop, uh, you can have a setting to where you can get files AirDropped to you from anyone around who also has an iPhone, uh, which I do not recommend having that setting on, by the way, okay? You can have it set for contacts only, but one of the ways that dissidents communicate in China is AirDropping information to each other. So China, Apple pushed out a an update only in mainland China, only in mainland China, that says that if you put your setting to receive airdrops from everyone or anyone, that will only last for 10 minutes, and then it defaults back to contacts only. So it effectively shuts down the ability of dissidents and protesters to use this airdrop function to communicate. Now, I'm particularly mad about this because I just interviewed Fred Kagan from AEI um, about Iran and protests in Iran. And, and I was talking to him about this conversation that uh, folks have been having about public statements in favor of dissidents and protesters. And, and I asked him a question. If you're in the Oval Office right now and you're talking to Joe Biden, how would you suggest what's the most productive thing that he can do to facilitate and support protests in Iran. We're talking Iran. And he said, uh, protect the ability of dissidents to communicate as much as possible. Facilitate their ability to communicate. Well, Apple 
just aimed right at it. Now, I don't think that they did it where they said, you know what, we need to go to um, the PRC and say, we've got an idea for cutting off dissidents at the knees. I think China probably told them to do this and they're deeply entangled with China. But I am so much more concerned about this kind of thing that I am the, the fight with Elon Musk. And I'm really curious as to where you guys on, are on it. A scale of one to 10 with one being, don't bore me with this anymore. Can we please move on to, I'm, if I could afford to just get a, get an Android right now and send people that infernal green, those infernal green texts, I'd do it tomorrow. So where, where are you? And Andrew, I know you already have the infernal green text. So, um, but long time virtuous guy. I don't know. What yeah. To tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since you spoke up, where where are you on the scale of one to ten on this? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's less it's less personal uh, for me than it is for Declan because <laughs> I am not myself an Apple junkie. I mean, it's it is it's always interesting uh, and kind of disheartening to to see the vast gulf between the kind of good game that a lot of these companies, I mean, tech companies in particular, have been talking uh, a very good game for a very long time. And it's not just it's not just Apple, it's it's essentially all of them about the, the dem- democratizing um, force that is the internet and, and, and communication platforms. And obviously, we know there are, we talked ad nauseum about a lot of the downsides of, of kind of mass communication technology. It has, it, it, it has, there's no question, sites like, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and and WhatsApp and Telegram and all these sorts of things are uh, an aid to protesters and aid to dissidents in all these sorts of countries, provided they're they're somewhat secure and it's not easy for uh, governments to crack in and spy. Um, so you know, two cheers for Apple and Google and all those companies for that. Uh, but at the same time, it, you go it, <laughs> the opportunities to see. Um, companies really stand up to China's unbelievable market power and economic leverage um, and and willingness to take their ball and go home and just say, if you don't play by our rules, you will simply not have access to our market. Um, you just don't see that many companies willing to kind of stand up and say, well, okay, uh, don't let the door hit you on your way out. We're not going to be cowed by you. Um, and I mean, I ha- has Apple actually commented on this? I mean, it, 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 it's that that uh that this would be the point of that of that airdrop um um setting change or at least, i mean like you would think if it came out that way uh and and everybody started to take it this way and it had been something completely innocuous uh apple would immediately be wanting to do damage control like no 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 actually like here's why <laughs> although by the same token you you have seen companies sometimes before uh make changes where they didn't actually intend I'm not saying this is what happened with 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 Apple and this, but it's just kind of another interesting facet of the thing. Companies come out and and, and basically accidentally uh, uh, get in China's uh, bad books, like draw the eye of Sauron to them completely unintentionally. And then once they're under the eye of Sauron, then act completely, uh, uh, you know, rubber spined and 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 wobble need in order to get back out from under that, because, again, they just wield so much economic power. So it's just kind of a gross um, gross situation all around. So Declan, um, on the one hand, I have some sympathy for American companies because going back for decades, there was sort of an American strategy that said, look, we're going to usher China out of communism. We're going to ch- usher China out of uh, authoritarianism and we're going to usher them out through the free market. So 
have at it on business with China. And it's going to be the situation where you can do good and do well at the same time, because by doing well, you're going to do the good of liberalizing China. Well, China so far has demonstrated that, well, in fact, we can get really rich and stay authoritarian. So on the one hand, you say to all of these companies that with the encouragement of the United States and the and the trade trade status that we've granted China and all of this, that to say to them, stop doing business with China and and to expect some sort of immediate reaction, it's virtually impossible. How do you tell a multinational corporation to unentangle? But at the same time, drawing a line that says, well, are you going to actively facilitate the suppression of dissent in China? Feels like a different thing. And right. and so, you know, I, granting the complexity and granting the difficulty that these companies are in, I mean, Tesla's opened a gigafactory in China. What should they be doing right now? I mean, this is, it's it's a version of the same debate that played out in February, March with Russia and companies deciding whether they were going to stay in Russia, pull out from Russia. Um, and and I think that China's rich. Yes. But right. it, it, in a, in a, you know, economically, I think it, in terms of the PR hit that companies would have taken had they stayed in Russia at the time, I think it probably was the economically beneficial decision for probably with the exception of oil and gas companies. I think that the amount of business they did there made, made that worthwhile, but from a humanitarian perspective, from a support the protesters perspective, I don't, I'm not saying this is why Apple is doing what it's doing. I think the, what, what you laid out there, David is exactly probably what happened was a CCP official said, Hey, this is happening. People are spreading uh, protest literature, demonstration literature, and uh, through the airdrop feature. And we need to turn this off at the same time. You're you're struck in a balance between is it better that we have some access to this market or no access to this market? Because that's kind of the 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 question that you're going to have here. It's not Mm -hmm. we're going to stay in China and uh, say, no, screw off CCP. We're not making that change. We support the protesters. You're going to say that and then immediately no Apple products allowed in China. Foxconn shuts down. Right. It's welcome to your new uh we Weibo phone or or whatever Chinese <laughs> tech company. So One and that's going to be, you know, that's going to be even more um authoritarian, more um, you know, even fewer privacy features built in, that kind of thing. So I, I I'm again, I I think that Apple did this entirely at the behest of the CCP. At the same time, if you're looking at it from a strategic perspective, is it better to have some foothold in these countries. And this was a legitimate debate that people were having um, in Russia, where, where like one of the only ways that uh, citizens of Russia can get non-censored or non-state-run media is through some of these Western tech companies and VPNs and things like that. And if you take that away, all that's left is the state-run media and the authoritarian kind of propaganda. Um, and so that's kind of a debate that I think hasn't come to the fore as much as, you know, it's not there's there's not a for now a perfect alternative where Apple says buzz off we're going to do what we want and we're going to maintain the same amount of access that we have in this market. Um, all that being said, I think it's 
horrible that they <laughs> did agree to this. I think, you know, as David said, communication is one of the most important things that we can do for these protesters right now. Um, it's why I think you saw it to kind of bring this full circle. Elon Musk bring, uh, you know, uh, or or allow Ukrainians to use Starlink, uh, his, his uh, I guess, satellite communications platform mm -hmm. um, that's associated with SpaceX. There were some issues with that <laughs> where it was allowing uh, people were able to, Russians were able to intercept the signal and geolocate some of the people that were using the Starlink technology. So that wasn't perfect either. But, um, you know, it, it really is a problem with every end business. You bring this back to, to Elon Musk, they're fighting. He's fighting with Tim Cook and Apple over the free speech issue, over the app store issue. He's in perfect alignment with them on the China issue, right? He, you know, he's framed himself as the the big defender of free speech and, you know, not wanting to stifle dissent, anti-censorship, hasn't said a peep about the, the China thing, the airdrop thing. And that's because, as you mentioned, David, Tesla is incredibly embedded in, in China. They have a, I think they have a showroom in Xinjiang, the, the province where yeah. um, a lot of the, the atrocities against the Uyghur population are, are taking place. And so, um, you know, it's, everybody's a hypocrite on this. Nobody is, everybody's free speech for me, not for the, uh, or ambivalent to free speech, free speech for the, uh, when, when they have their own interests at stake. So I, 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 here's the thing that is sticks in my craw. Um, I, I, you guys know, members know I've long said, look, I protect the right of corporations to speak. Uh, I protect the right of individuals to speak. I protect the right of corporations to express corporate values. You know, I think this is something that for a long time, conservatives had defended to the hilt, you know, Hobby Lobby case um, where Hobby Lobby refused to provide contraceptives that could be abortifacients in defiance of Obamacare mandates. Critical, critical case under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, critical sort of statement of, of corporate freedom. And so I support these rights, but here's what here's what gets me. So here's Tim Cook in April 2017 delivering an address to the now defunct museum. Remember the museum? Uh, did y'all ever go to the museum? I never did. made it there. I you did. never made it. You did? Did you pay I, to get in? Uh, no, I had a friend who worked at Fox, mm -hmm. uh, Fox News, who, because they were a sponsor of the museum, uh, all employees were allowed to go for free, bring a guest. But I might have paid one time. It was too expensive for for what it was. Uh, yeah, obviously support journalism, support local papers, all that whatnot. But um, yeah. when every other museum in DC is free, thirty dollars a visit stands out. So here's Tim Cook, and it, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna agree with what he says here. He's talking about um, free speech. It's no accident that these freedoms are enshrined and protected in the First Amendment. Talking about the freedom of speech. In its own free speech rights. They're the foundation of so many of our rights, which means we all have a stake and a role in defending them. This is a responsibility that Apple takes very seriously. I see our work to fulfill this responsibility is twofold. First, we work to defend these freedoms by enabling people around the world to speak up. Great. And second, we do it by speaking up ourselves because companies can and should have <clears throat> values. We have a perspective on major public issues and we're prepared to take a stand for things that we deeply believe in. A company is not some faceless, shapeless thing that exists apart from society. A company is a collection of human beings and part of the fabric of our society. A company like ours has a culture, it has values, and it has a voice. Apple has spoken out and will continue to speak out for what we believe as a company 
and the decisions we take will continue to guide our actions. So we will continue to speak up for environmental protection. We'll continue to stand up for inclusion and diversity in all facets of life. And we will continue to stand for human rights, including the right to privacy. Good, great. <laughs> but if you're going to be so publicly facing as a value-laden corporation, this is what gets me. This is what gets me. It's one thing to do it when you're doing it, say, taking on Georgia or you're taking over over a religious freedom law or a voting rights law or in Indiana over a, vo- a, a religious freedom law. What about China? Yeah. What about China? And this is what gets me. Um, and this is what I think for a lot of people who wouldn't ordinarily necessarily have a problem with this sort of corporate battle and participation in the marketplace of ideas here in America um, it just feels to me like between Tim Cook and Tesla, I mean, Tim Cook and Apple and Elon Musk and Tesla, that, you know, we're we're dealing with two companies that have really actually dropped the ball where it matters the most. And they're fighting like cats and dogs where it matters the least. Um, I don't know if that's just in rant that you all want to comment on, because I have a member to berate after this. Well, I... I- I did want to say just one thing because I, I I do take the point, Declan, that you were making a minute ago about it not necessarily being such an easy thing if, say, you're Apple, um, to really like kind of peer into the future and triangulate what is actually going to be the course of action that leads to the most access to communication for, say, protesters in China, and like, oh, if we're if we're too if we're too defiant of the 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 CCP or whatever, are we going to get completely frozen out? And is that actually going to be worse for people? And I just think that like there are a lot of areas in in uh, in our work where like these sort of things come up, and we talk about this in politics all the time. You know, like I like like you know maybe we ought to uh, you know sort of uh, 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 bend our backs on on this that or the other issue so that like we can we can build a better coalition and and um you know seize the power that we need to to go happily into the into the future that we will create and everything and i just think that like in all of these situations you can't actually really see the future and you can't really like triangulate with perfect accuracy um what's going to happen if you do this that or the other thing and so like it probably is just the best thing to actually just sort of stick to the values that you've you've laid out and and not allow yourself to not sort of like permit yourself if you're apple to think oh well what's really necessary for uh for like the good of the universe is that at all costs the chinese public be allowed to keep purchasing our devices <laughs> um because you, i mean it's just it's impossible to extricate <clears throat> at your your own financial your own economic interest at that point like it's it's so easy to kind of keep telling yourself like these these convenient little stories to, for why you should go go along and get along a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and this is the story of everything we've ever written about for the past however many years and so yeah just like just you know dare apple to or dare china to kick you out if you're not uh if 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 they're going to make you go along with their sort of totalitarian demands i think that's i think that's fine so is that what you millennials would call a drive by on poor declan <laughs> No, I don't. I don't. I don't think Declan was saying. I don't think Declan was saying. I, I was presenting that, that as a this. rationalization, <laughs> not the rationalization. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. Um, I, I, Your I'd like to, I would like to Declan, was you. <laughs> I'd like to extricate myself from that belief. Uh, just putting it out there for fodder. But I, I, I do think, David, your your point about 
kind of, you know, say one thing domestically, do one thing internationally with, with all these companies. Those, those statements about values, those statements about, you know, we, we stand for something that is part of the product that these companies are selling, yeah, but only in point. this market. Right. Yeah. And, and so these are point. all, these are all global companies. They sell different things in different companies. They're totally different. Uh, you know, McDonald's doesn't have the same menu in, in Belgium than it does here. For example, I, it, one of them has, um, one of them sells beer. I forget which country McDonald's is like where you go for the bar, that kind of thing. But, um, all that to say, like th- those values, they, they're for a domestic audience. That's what they think is a winning message. But I will note that that speech um, that you cited was in 2017, which I think honestly might have been, you know, 2017, 2018, beginning of the Trump era could be the the peak of this kind of corporate activist mm-hmm. mindset. This this idea that we need to be injecting politics into absolutely everything that we're doing, um, you know, just just this week. Uh <clears throat> Bob Iger, uh, yes, Bob Iger replaced Bob Chapek as the CEO of Disney. Um, you know, it, they they didn't come out and explicitly say we're switching CEOs because the last CEO got us embroiled in too many political battles. But that was <clears throat> a strong undertone of of that move. And Bob Iger came out today and said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna stand for our values, but we don't need to essentially like shove it down people's throats. We don't need to. Um, get involved in, in these battles as much. You know, there are people of all political persuasions who who should be um, enjoying our content. It's the old Michael Jordan Republicans buy sneakers too situation. Right. And so um, I, I do think that we've seen a little bit of kind of a, 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 a kind of decline in, in that sort of thinking among, corp- you know, obviously not everywhere people are going to be taking these stands, but a lot of companies got burned pretty badly over the past year and a half, you know, major league baseball with Georgia's voting law and the all-star game in Atlanta last year. That's a strong example of, you know, Georgia had higher turnout than it's ever had in its history. I think for a, a midterm election this past year, um, kind of, you know, made MLB look pretty silly, similar with Disney and kind of the, some of the don't say gay stuff in Florida, I think, you know, whatever you think about the merits of that law, the public took DeSantis's side in that. Um, Disney yeah. did not come out a, a winner there. Um, and so I think companies are starting to learn a little bit like, hey, w- maybe maybe we just need to make phones or maybe we just need to uh, make cheeseburgers. We don't need to necessarily be, you know, this is, this is the burger that you buy if you are for XYZ and against X what Senate Bill 231 or whatever it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Oh, go ahead. Experience of my life was in Tel Aviv at a McDonald's and it was like an unbelievably large, uh, single patty burger called the big American. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Um, all right. So I have Byron coffee writes, what does David say to charges that the money spent developing the SLS, which was the space launch system that launched the Artemis one mission and is the largest most powerful, the most powerful rocket human beings have ever successfully sent into space. What do I say to charges that the money spent developing this LS was actually wasted because we could have accelerated the exploration of space? And my answer is, how dare you, sir? How dare you? We made a monster rocket at extreme expense that's brutally powerful. And I can't, there's few things that I can think of that are more hashtag America than that. And I, for one, applaud it. 
So to people who tuned into last week's Dispatch Live, I'm sorry you had to hear the same rant again. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> wait, hold on. Okay, um, let's let's move on a little bit. Um, and this is a, this is a good this is a good question. Um, would it be accurate to say that we actually did successfully in communism in China, and just failed to consider what authoritarianism might arise on the other end? We certainly didn't end the Chinese Communist Party, but is what China has actually communism? Uh, so maybe we did liberalize the economy. We certainly didn't liberalize the government. Thoughts? I think that's a pretty fair characterization. Um, I mean, the there's a reason why uh, why all these companies want to be doing business in China, and that's because there's a incredibly lucrative market uh, for their goods, both uh, in China and then goods that they can produce there and, and export around the world. Um, and that doesn't necessarily happen uh, in a in a communist system where, you know, there are set quotas and set manufacturing uh, restrictions and things like that. So uh, I, th I think it's fair to say that China has, it's certainly more economically liberal than it was 20, 30 years ago. Um, and, and that's by design. And I think that's part of the reason why Xi has been able to turn up the authoritarianism to the extent that he has, is that things are going so well economically for them. They had this monster growth that slowed in recent years. So things are a little bit dicier, but when you have you know, six to 12% GDP growth for 20 straight years, um, people's standards of living pretty dramatically improved and and they don't want to necessarily shake the boat as much as they do. Um, you know, that, that said, I think we're, we're starting to see a point where the authoritarian, the authoritarianism is becoming so pervasive that it's no longer necessarily in these companies' best interests, or, you know, they, they have to make arrangements in the case that, maybe this doesn't be, stay as liberal or as lucrative a society. So, I mean, we talked about Apple. They have, again, still a vast, vast majority of their products are manufactured in China. Um, this is not to say that they've made some leap years in in, in uh, offshoring, but they did announce a couple months ago that they are going to move um, a not insignificant portion of their iPhone manufacturing to India. Other companies are kind of going, uh, following a similar pattern, Philippines, Thailand, uh, other Southeast Asian countries, just, and then obviously bringing some stuff back to the United States. There is a push that companies have realized, shoot, and this was especially during the pandemic where um, supply chains got all snarled up for a million different reasons we could get into. We can't rely on China 100% for our manufacturing anymore. We need to diversify our supply chains and that's starting to happen, but it's going to take just as it took 20 years to get us to this point, it's probably going to take us 20 years to, to fully divest. I do think it's an interesting case study in what it actually means for an, econ an economy and a state to be economically liberal, right? Um, because mm -hmm. obviously the Chinese economy has been very open. It has, it's, it's, it's become much, uh, you know, corporations are allowed to optimize for their own bottom line. They're allowed to trade internationally. Um, but at the same time, they, are still subject to incredible, um, you know, state controls at basically every level. Those controls have gotten more subtle. They've gotten less economically, like th they are less of an economic drag certainly than they were like during the Soviet Union, where where basically it 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 just kind of 
caused the entire system to collapse because of because it was so uh, poorly run. Um, but at the same time, you know, the I hesitate to call it like economically liberal because at any time uh, she has the power to snap right. that all back, you know, and we've seen yeah. a good amount of that since the pandemic. I mean, like in, in, in particular, um, the kind of narrative of the most recent uh, CCP Party Congress was uh, the kind of purging of even like somewhat moderate voices from from the top ranks of the of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, this Xi's continued surrounding of himself with more and more yes men. Uh, his his uh, snapping back even kind of the, 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 uh, you know, tightening the reins even on a lot of the, the major Chinese companies and in that market, Chinese tech companies in particular. Uh, and, and of course the zero COVID, uh, uh, regime that they've implemented over there, which also has, you know, enormous like economic, um, um, repercussions, you know, it's essentially telling all kinds of businesses that they can't function all the time. And it's, it's, you know, the the economy was more open, but at no point uh, was it really more liberal in the sense that that it was freer in the sense that the people running the companies actually had like like rights, <laughs> right, uh, economic right. rights that they could like bring to some higher power and say the government's not allowed to do this to me and have that that you know a court like be like you're absolutely right and crack the whip and the government can't do that to them anymore you know so it's uh so I, I think I think like yes um in in, in certain respects. It, the 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 right in America has long called like all kinds of authoritarianism communist um like since mm-hmm. since the Reagan years because that's what we're kind of familiar with and so you can quibble about whether or not you know this particular kind of authoritarianism is technically <coughs> communist uh, or to a greater or lesser degree but I think that like it's it's uh, oh uh, the only point I'm trying to make open not necessarily equal to uh, liberal or free. A short way of saying it is, is your stuff, your stuff, if the government can take it at any moment. Right. It's, it's, and one thing Andrew touched on there that I think is worth highlighting is, especially since in in the past two years, uh, I think Xi has gotten increasingly paranoid. He's, you see that with kind of the, the amount of control he's trying to exert through zero COVID. You also see it with, as Andrew mentioned, the crackdown on tech companies in particular and the real estate sector to a degree within China. This is, um, I mean, essentially what happened was these companies are getting so big, doing so well that she was like, oh no, you you guys don't get to be this powerful. <laughs> let right. me, let me uh, bring you back down to size. And like, weirdly, one after another, after another, these big tech CEOs disappeared from public life for like six months at a time, reemerged and were like, isn't G great? Isn't, isn't, uh, you know, I'm giving away 80% of my fortune and G is great. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and th- this happened with Jack Ma, who is essentially China's, uh, Jeff Bezos to, to some degree. Um, and so as Andrew was saying, like the, the fact that you can be economically liberal until you're too successful, then we're going to remind you that this is actually, we're running the show. Maybe that is still communism. Uh, it's yeah. just kind of a more controlled experiment. All right, so let's um, go to another China question. Something we talked about in Slack, something that our own Nick Alapundit uh, wrote about uh, in his newsletter this afternoon, which is, okay, let's let's just assume, let's just assume that your policy is to do what is best calculated to facilitate and encourage dissidents in China and to in, not just encourage them, but to... Uh, facilitate their success. Um, 
Where do you stand on the question of how much should Biden publicly state solidarity with the protesters versus something more along the lines of saying the protesters speak for themselves, which is kind of the administration line, but China needs to respect their human rights and there will be consequences if China does not respect their human rights. Where do you stand on that spectrum? Because I got to admit, I'm torn. And I know that the hawkish China hawk, generally Republican response to this is essentially that the administration looks weak, that they look like they're not um, uh, supporting the the protesters as much as they should. They, similar things have been said about um, the the Biden administration's response to what's happening in Iran in, in recent months. I'm pretty convinced by the argument that the Biden administration is not coming out and saying publicly, obviously, because it would defeat the purpose, but the argument that China is going to, you know, anything that the United States says publicly, China is going to use against um, the protesters as a means of invalidating their frustrations, invalidating um, the what's happened over the past couple days, essentially that, you know, this isn't real grievance. This isn't real frustration with our administration. This is being stirred up by Western agitators, particularly the United States. This is um, the United States trying to undermine China and we need to, you know, these people are CIA operatives or, you know, talking to or uh, people who know how this works. Like there were legitimate concerns about um, anybody who's white in, in uh, China in recent days being viewed as a CIA operative. And, you know, it's their safety is legitimately under, under question because of, uh, because of that and kind of the typical response there. We saw a British journalist get um, kind of, pretty brutally beaten by police um, in over the weekend who was covering these protests. And so th- there is a, an element of this where, uh, you know, any, anything that the China is going to say what it's going to say, regardless of what we do, they're going to blame the United States, no matter what the Biden administration says, but I, I'm going to crib a point. I think it was from Charlie cook on the, the national review podcast this week that like, we don't necessarily have to make it, easier for them to do that. You know, it's a, he, he brought up a point that in the 2020 democratic primary, um, that, you know, yes, Republicans were going to call whoever the democratic nominee was a socialist or communist, but it'd be a lot easier to make that case if if it's Bernie Sanders who says, yes, I am a socialist. (laughs) Um, and so kind of to the same degree here, you know, China can say what they're going to say about, these protests are are being supported by the United States. They're not legitimate, what have you. But if we're out there saying like, go protesters, you know, we're, we're going to send you supplies or we're going to do this and that, then it's a lot easier to make that case if they can play those clips on, on their propaganda machines. Andrew, what say you? I despair of triangulating it. I, 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 the, I'm essentially largely sympathetic. I mean, the 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 clip that you saw of, um, you know, I, I think it was uh, real real clear politics. Phil Wegman in the White House briefing room, um, asking the the spokesman, you know, like the the the, the protesters that are out there uh, saying, you know, down with Xi Jinping. Does uh, what what's President Biden's response to that? I mean, of course, of course, of course, uh, the response to that is not like I, th- you know, I, I think they raised some really good points. I mean, like you're you're not letting. Uh, 
random chanters in the streets of Beijing dictate U.S. foreign policy at kind of the the, the regime to regime level. Um, so I think that like you absolutely have to have some level of uh, decorum or tact about all of that. Um, I do think there's a distinction to be made between like you know it's it's a, it's a little different from the the kind of like freewheeling open uh, media system that we have here when, when you bring up like the Bernie Sanders analogy compared to um, the the just like single stream of, of state run propaganda over there. I, I, I'm more inclined to credit those kinds of arguments like like don't let don't give your enemies the rope to hang you with uh, when you have the open free media and people able to kind of at least uh, if they want to go seek out sort of competing views on things and, 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 and ferret out the truth of things. Um, yeah. I Don't ask me, man. I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad they, don't, <laughs> they don't put me in charge they, of this stuff. There, there yeah. is a parallel to this though, in that Biden administration officials who at that time were Obama administration officials have since expressed regret that they weren't more supportive of the revolution in Iran in 2009, 2010, um, the, the, the kind of protests that, that broke out there. Um, and so it, it's, it's impossible to predict the future with these things as, as Andrew said earlier in his drive by of me, but, uh, you know, I, I do think I, I am also not, uh, not envious of whoever has to be making these decisions at the highest levels. I think that they but, could be, they could be a little less mealy mouthed even about specifically saying, Human rights. These people have a right to protest. Yeah. You know, yep. I mean, like that. We, we, we're we're kind of treating this as an either or, but the, but it's not like the administration has exactly wrapped itself in 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 glory with with coming right out and saying like, yeah, you had better not like oppress these people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Now that that one to me is the layup, which is you respect their human rights, or be consequences if you don't respect their human rights. Um, you know, the other background is Biden hasn't exactly been soft on China so far in his presidency. I mean, he's, you know, one of the things he keeps doing and his administration sort of keeps walking back. And it's a big fight as to whether this is all sort of kabuki theater where he's doing this on purpose and the administration is walking it back on where it's all a dance. But he keeps saying, yeah, heck yeah, we'll defend Taiwan, <laughs> which is not exactly soft on China, right? I mean, he's gone farther than almost any president that I can remember in removing the ambiguity from the phrase strategic ambiguity. And those are his words, right? And and so he hasn't exactly been soft on China. Um, so I, I'm I'm kind of with you, Andrew. There's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot we don't know about the protesters themselves, any sort of form of leadership any sort of foreign communication that is occurring with, you know, with American officials. There's just a lot we don't know. And before I'm going to jump up and down and say, you need to be saying these things more decisively, um, especially given that he has actually come out pretty strongly for the Iranian protesters, especially since he has been pretty hawkish on China so far. Um, but I, I'm, I am definitely of the belief that a strong message on human rights is would be absolutely necessary. Okay, we've got a few more minutes here. Um, so, Andrew, I know that you are working on, and you wanted to talk a bit about, uh, since we're going to stick with the, we've been generally in the big tech China arena. Let's go back to big tech. Um, you're writing about some Supreme Court cases. 
want to talk about those briefly, and then we'll I'll I'll wind up with a, a question about marriage, and then call it a night. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, which we can we can do this fast, but uh, just just sort of in keeping with the uh, uh, the bigger conversation about a great amount of of political discontent with with how much uh, power tech companies wield, and that that's a thing on both the political left and the political right right now. Um, there are a couple of upcoming Supreme Court cases that you're going to want to keep your eye on. Uh, the 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 most important one, which is the Net Choice case, um, as I understand it, it's the most important one, is probably yet to come. Uh, still winding its way through, but but the 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 two that we don't have oral arguments set for yet, but are coming right down the pipe on the current term are Gonzalez v. Google, Twitter v. Tamna, uh, Tamna, I actually believe it's pronounced. Um, both of which are uh, about sort of how much are going to implicate questions of how much liability tech companies have uh, when terrorists use their platform for scurrilous terrorism adjacent activities um, because there was a, a there were, it was families of of a couple of pe- different people who were killed overseas in a couple of different ISIS affiliated terror attacks. Basically, both of whom sued one sued Google, one sued Google, Facebook, and Twitter over um, essentially saying uh, not that like these individual attacks were planned with recourse to these platforms, but just that by virtue of uh, terrorists making use of these platforms to kind of get the word out about each other, that they were instrumental in abetting the growth of these organizations and thus facilitated these attacks indirectly. Uh, And what the uh, tech companies are going or what what the Supreme Court is going to be considering is whether a under a specific anti-terrorism law that was passed in the 90s, uh, you could hold these tech companies liable um, for the specific act, civilly liable specifically for this technical definition of abetting a terrorist act, which would expose them to to civil uh, fines, civil penalties. Um, And B, and sort of more crucially, more more centrally, whether... uh, tech companies are still going to enjoy under what's called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, uh, a broad uh, shield against civil liability for for stuff anybody posts on their platforms ever. And I don't want to, you know, it's it's 855. This is like an unbelievably large uh, and kind of wonky topic. But the the, the bottom line is like for, for 20 years, 30 years, 25 years, uh, the basically internet companies have been able to thrive under this regulatory regime where there's basically been a firewall between anything the company itself says and anything users say on company servers on the company site and that uh you know if i'm facebook and you uh libel somebody on facebook facebook's not an accessory to libel just because they provided you that platform um and this has been a very very useful uh liability shield for these companies it has created a regulatory environment where they have been able to grow because it's very easy. Um, even if people try to sue them, uh, their lawyers can basically just very quickly uh, say Section 230 and they get the course, they have the case thrown out and it doesn't cost them hardly anything at all. Uh, it's very quick and easy. Um, there, there are people on both the left and the right who think this has allowed tech companies to get too powerful, can't be sued easily enough for all kinds of different things, basically, uh, especially as content has gotten a lot more algorithmic uh, on social media and things. They basically made the argument, well, you know, now it's not just like people posting on a forum and it's presented chronologically. You've actually built out algorithms that uh, recommend specific types of content that you think people will like and that stuff gets privileged. And, and isn't that kind of your speech? And if that's kind of your speech, then it's not really this other guy's speech anymore. 
anymore? And shouldn't we be able to hold you liable even under Section 230? Uh, and that's essentially the question that SCOTUS will be considering for the first time at the Supreme Court level. Um, so buckle up, it'll be fun. So the Google Gonzalez case to me is the more interesting case because the Twitter case is essentially, well, Twitter should have done more just to get rid of ISIS content. The YouTube case, this is about YouTube, is the allegation is the YouTube algorithm actually promoted ISIS content. In other words, that it was feeding you uh, content that was supportive of terrorism. And the interesting twist on this is, so most of the Section 230 controversies have been around, how can we stop social media companies from censoring? These cases are, how can we get social media companies to censor more? <laughs> so it's a very, it's a kind of a different situation. And the YouTube case though is very interesting to me because is this algorithm, which is promoting material, the same thing as moderation? Um, so I'm, I'm going to be, that's the case I'm looking at with very, with, with extreme interest, um, regarding section 230, the Twitter case, uh, you know, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. The Twitter case to me seems less consequential. The YouTube case seems quite consequential. The way that I've seen it, um, and they, they exist in this very bizarre kind of, uh, uh, they differ primarily in how they were litigated at the at the district level. The the Twitter case, um, they never even got around to adjudicating it on Section two thirty grounds because they they the the district court essentially said, um, you know, not even on the Anti Terrorism Act uh, abetting standard do we think that you've brought a significant case to implicate Twitter. So we don't even need to get Section two thirty involved. Uh, and we're just going to kick it up to the circuit court, basically basically just dismissing the case. And then the circuit court turned around and said, uh, actually, we do think they meet this abetting standard. And maybe you would you would prevail on Section 230 grounds. But the district court actually didn't let us uh, didn't talk about that at all. So it's not like we can come in now and say, but you have this Section 230 immunity. So we're remanding it back to the district court to talk about Section 230. And then Twitter appealed the case to the Supreme Court because it was going back to the district court uh, at exactly the same moment that this Gonzalez case was going up. And they were like, well, we don't want this to go back to the district court for us to adjudicate Section 230 at the very moment that maybe SCOTUS is pulling the Section 230 rug out from under our feet. So it's like, it's this very they're, they're they're snarled in weird ways. I I'm, I I said I wasn't going to get super wonky about it. I apologize. Thank um, you for but, listening to Advisory Opinions, our <laughs> flagship legal podcast. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, 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 no. This is people are here for the red meat. Like the this is <laughs> they're here for the real stuff. Stop with they're, the clickbait, Andrew. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not sloganeering. They want to know. They want to know. That's why they're here. All right. Well, we've got like no time, but we did. I did get a question. Uh, that was from Carl. Curious about how you handled the Twitter storm you experienced last week over the defensive marriage posture. Surviving? Uh, yeah, surviving. It, it, this is a subject for a longer conversation. Uh, but I've been in communication with a number of people. And what's happening in the evangelical world on Twitter is really pretty dark right now. Um, there's been an enormous amount of... of uh, an enormous uh, a tsunami of cruelty on Christian Twitter, ironically enough, uh, along with an exposure, some really scandalous stuff, um, in, including some really overt uh, racism uh, that 
that was exposed from a, a Christian podcaster after first denying that he had was the uh, author of an anonymous Twitter account. Um, enormous amount of avalanche of cruelty towards Beth Moore. Controversy surrounding uh, credentialing and, and repentance of a very, very prominent Baptist pastor. A huge fight over who belongs in what category of of in in response to American challenges of American pluralism and none of it conducted none of it conducted in an atmosphere of kindness or humility at all <laughs> and it's really sad and I'm beginning to see I, I feel like I'm beginning to see a lot of people uh cracking you know there's there's a you you sometimes get a sense when you're on Twitter and you see this happening that you're seeing people sort of get wounded personally in a deep level in real time. Uh, and it's it's really distressing to see. And I'm always somebody who welcomes good faith feedback. I, it's it's funny, my friends who write in opposition to what I write, they'll shoot me a Twitter DM or they'll send me a text and they'll say, hey, David, I've got something coming on the corner in National Review that disagrees with you. And my response is always cool. I can't wait to read it. I'm looking forward to reading it. But then there's a whole nother category, which is how can I demolish this person as a human being? And that's really honestly the, I, I hate to say this, but secular sort of conservative magazines or conservative magazines and publications that have that have, they might have a lot of people who faith to write them. They're not, but they're not explicitly like religious ministries. You're often going to find a much more civil, a much more um, high-minded discourse than you will in a lot of the explicitly religious spaces, and that is really discouraging. I got to say, but yeah, I'm surviving it. I knew when I wrote about it, it was going to generate some um, oh, uh, some conversation, <laughs> and it did. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm much less concerned about me than I am the overall. Uh, community. It, it's it's getting very dark. It's getting very cruel. And I don't see where it's going to end anytime soon. Um, so we can't end on that note. Uh, Andrew, Declan, did you watch America beat Iran in World Cup soccer? <laughs> what a I segue. sure did. Yes. <laughs> I did. Um, I I'm kind of of the mind of like, I don't watch soccer. I don't really care about soccer. But as soon as I see America on the screen, I like sit down and I'm, well, we have to win because we're playing. So, uh, yes, I watched the last half. I still think that extra time is the dumbest rule in any sport whatsoever. Like it's just the game ends when the refs feel like it ends. The players don't know. But uh, other than that, yes, uh, congratulations to the to the U.S. team for moving on to the next round. It's called a uh, stoppage time, Declan, and it's great. It ratchets up the tension. It's awesome. Uh, the one thing, the one thing that was kind of a bummer to me is that you know, having seen the fact that the uh, Iranian team relatively heroically kind of yeah. uh, declined to sing their own. Uh, I say relatively heroically, heroically declined heroically. to sing their own <laughs> national her anthem uh, yeah. in solidarity with the protesters. You're, you're about to end us on a bummer of a note again, Andrew. No, not We're at all. We're going to need another all. segue. No, it's not a bummer at all. It's very, I mean, like unbelievable uh, courage to to do that in solidarity with the protesters, uh, the protests currently going on in Iran. Um, it 
it was only a bummer to me in the sense that it made it a lot harder for me to sort of jingoistically um, uh, identify the enemy, uh, these, these, this team on the field against the U S like I, I wanted like them to be kind of my stand in for the Ayatollah uh, yeah. and, and, and basically be like, you know, ah, you know, take that you, you bad. Well, the, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it made if it this little- was USA <laughs> versus IRGC, that would be Islamic revolutionary guard Corps. I exactly. would, then, then, like I, I'm with you, Andrew. But this was USA versus. It was almost like USA versus Soviet dissenters, right? You know, but and so you, you missed the follow up to the story, which was they did sing the national anthem today because the regime threatened all of their families uh, with torture and violence, and, if they did and not. sang it in the most flat, grim faced way. I mean, yes. I mean, the courage of these guys. So, hats yeah. off to the Iranian soccer team hats off to the u.s soccer team hashtag america uh we're moving on though baby moving uh, on last last time we we didn't even make it to the world cup because of trinidad and tobago one of the most embarrassing (laughs) sports moments in modern world history but now we're in the round of 16 and what what is it the famous line from one of the austin powers movies i'm tolerant of all cultures except the dutch (laughs) (laughs) For now, until Saturday afternoon after the game. All right. Thank you so much, dispatch members, for tuning in. We really appreciate you. We really appreciate your questions. And we'll see you, at least some of us, next Tuesday night.